This is Restart Hope with Pastor Joel Sicker on FM 94.1 The Voice. Alright, oftentimes I tell friends of mine who are my peers who are just like, you know, old enough to be my grandparents. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know, is that how church is going to be this morning? We're going to get a little rowdy? Alright. Oftentimes I tell people who are going to kick the bucket very soon. Happy? Alright. I love you guys. I love you guys. Hey, you're going to see Jesus before I do, hopefully. Okay. Oh, it'll be great if I do. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Isn't it beautiful that that doesn't have to frighten us because we, have a share, we share a common destiny. Death doesn't have to frighten us. You know, to be absent the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's our common destiny. Anyways, I want to share a little tiny illustration of this. In the book of Ruth, the whole book of Ruth is so beautiful. Um, it's a family that leaves Bethlehem, which is a blessed place where Jesus was going to be born uh, many, many, many years later. But this family, they're going through a famine in Bethlehem because of the sin. And they leave and they go to Moab, which is a place where God does not bless, that God is not in that place. But they go there and this whole family goes and they have two sons and the two sons marry girls from Moab. And there's no blessing over there because the husband dies and the two sons die and all that's left are the three women, the mother-in-law and the two daughter-in-laws. It's Naomi, Ruth and Orpah. And they've lost everything. Failure has stolen their joy. And they're there in the field and they hear that God is showing favor in Bethlehem and that once again the famine's lifted and once again the fields are ripe with harvest. And, Ruth, and Naomi says, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And so she packs her stuff and she starts making the move and it's tradition for family members to walk with them till the gate. And so the two girls, Ruth and Orpah, walk with Naomi till the gate. And Ruth says, listen, uh, Naomi says, listen, it's, it's, it's time. We're at the gate now. You girls need to turn around, go back home. Go back to your mom. Go back to your history. Go back to where you came from. Go back to your mom. Go back to your family. Go back to your gods. And your mom will dress you up. And you're still young. And you can find a husband. You can have children. You can have a legacy. Orpah leaves. Ruth stays. It says in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 14, At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. You see, because Ruth saw that Naomi's destiny was different from the people of Moab. And what she does is fascinating. She says, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people be my people and your God will be my God. And where you die is where I will die. You see, what's happening is she's saying, I don't want to attach myself to the history that I've come from. I want to attach myself, partner with the destiny that God is calling you to. And so she's renouncing her idolatrous ways and she says, one God and that will be my God. Your people be my people. And it's fascinating when you go through the book of Ruth, she goes there as a homeless person and she ends up being a master of the place where she's picking grains. She picks up favor everywhere. God blesses her and she not only becomes a wife, not only becomes a mom, but she now is in the genealogy of Jesus if you read Matthew chapter 1. When you detach from the history of where you came from and attach yourself with partner with people who share in your common destiny, you will begin to see that your failures, God will use that to remind you of the joy of your salvation. This does not mean that you cannot have friends who are not believers. In fact, I think we need to have friends who are not believers. But gospel partnership is very different. Here in gospel partnership, you're helping each other fix your eyes on Jesus. And maybe when you go back home, you need to take inventory of who do you have in your life that's pointing you towards your eternal destiny that you have. All right. 
So back to Paul in prison. Nothing is able to steal his joy because he's partnering with those who share his common destiny. Does this mean I need participation now? Does this mean that the church in Philippi was a perfect church? No. Not at all. Just like how you're not a perfect person, right? Because you still fail, you still sin, and you still doubt. The church in Philippi too, even though they shared a common destiny of eternal glory in Christ Jesus, they were not a perfect church. And so it made me wonder, what else, Paul, what, what else got you so excited about this church that you had to write an epistle, a letter, so full of joy? And I think it's because of verse 6. Look at verse 6. And I'm sure of this, says Paul. Some of your translations will say, I'm confident of this. I'm convinced of this. I'm persuaded of this. I'm certain of this. In other words, I have no doubt about this. Paul, what is something that you're so certain about that you have no doubt? That he who began a good work in you. Who is the he talking about? Help me out. Jesus. That Jesus who began a good work in you. This is fascinating because I've read some commentaries. And some people think that what Paul is talking about is the good work that the Philippians did towards Paul. That is the offering they sent him, you know, the, 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 the books they sent him, or the food they sent him, or the clothes they sent him, because, or the letters that they sent him, the good work done to Paul. But it says the good work in you. He who began a good work in you. And this is important because this is not just a good work that Paul is talking that the church in Philippi did. This is a good work that God is doing in you and me. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's an absolute promise of completion. I do not know who's struggling over here with failures, but here's a beautiful promise that says that God will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That means there is an end to all of this. In other words, Paul is saying, I am confident of a work that God has begun in me and in the church and in you, and it will be perfected, and we will be presented before Jesus, perfect, lacking in nothing. There's a second thing I want you to write down. And I hope this really encourages you this morning. Your problems do not predict your destiny. Your problems, your failures, your sin, your predicaments do not predict the destiny that God has cut out for you because like I said earlier this morning, singing songs and jumping and dancing and the clothes and the color of your skin and how long your hair is, whether you have tattoos or not tattoos does not predict your destiny. Only one person can predict your destiny. Who is he? And that's Jesus. It's so beautiful that Paul, he's excited and nothing can steal his joy even in the midst of failure. In fact, he's going to confront the church about unity. This church was not perfect, just like how you and I are not perfect. And yet, he's excited that nothing can steal his joy, this essential joy, because he knows that the problems in the church, your failures, your predicaments, do not predict your destiny. And maybe you're sitting over here because you failed quite a bit this week. You tanked it on Monday. After you made a decision right here of living a holy life. Dear child of God, you're still a saint. And your problems, and your failures, and your sin, do not predict your destiny in Jesus Christ. This verse in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6, it's a, it's a wheelbarrow full of theological words. So bear with me as I unpack this real quick because there's going to be a little theology that we got to get into. You okay with that? Yes. Alright. It says Jesus began a work. Do you remember the time when, if you're a believer, do you remember the time when you were dead in your sins? Do you remember that time? You were dead. There's no way you could have helped yourself. You see, when I was dead in my sins, there was nothing that I could do to help, to, to make me love Jesus. I didn't want to love him. I wanted to stay away from him. I loved the world more than I loved anything to do with righteousness and holiness and the Holy Ghost. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and maybe you're sitting here and you are dead in your sin. 
But look at verse 4 in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So that's the work that Jesus began in us, but that's not all. There are three words that fit in this wheelbarrow of Ephesians 1.6. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now I'm not speaking in tongues. Okay? You see, when you come to Jesus, you're justified. When you, even this minute, when you say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I submit my life to you. You be my Lord. You be my Savior. I give my life to you. You, that very moment, that very instant, you are presented as sinless. Justified. Justified before God, standing before God in righteousness. It says in, in um, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It means to be declared righteous in God's sight. So you might have come here with failures. But you need to know that when you're saved, you're justified. That's beautiful. And Paul is saying that, and I'm sure of this, that he'll begin a good work in you. That is, he who has begun his justification in you, he will see it to completion because the second word is sanctification. This means to be set apart for God's purposes. It's a call to holiness. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So who does the sanctification? Let's read it again. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So who does the sanctification? It's he who makes you holy. Your works don't make you holy. It's he who sanctifies you. And it says, And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. You see, the process of sanctification, it's what God does. And that's why if you're a saved person over you, if you give your life to Jesus, when you sin, when you encounter failure, you have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And it's a good thing. It's a great thing. And sometimes the conviction is so hard, it's so heavy that you're unable to get out of bed. And like, I got to get right with this. You're able to talk to people. You're kicking your dog because you're like, the Holy Spirit is convicting me. I need, to get, I need to get out of this rut of sin. And that's a process of sanctification. God's saying, listen, man, you can't keep living in sin. How can you as dead to sin continue living in sin? Because you're dead to that. And, and that's why it doesn't sit right with you. And it's a good thing if you're sitting over here and there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit and saying like, dude, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be living that way. You shouldn't be saying that. You shouldn't be watching that. You shouldn't be investing money in that. That's the conviction. That's the process of sanctification. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. And I was sharing this with my kids this week. From the minute you give your life to Jesus till the minute you die, you're going to have, go through the beautiful process of sanctification. And along the way, there will be failures, there will be sin, there will be times when you tank it, and the Holy Spirit will keep on bringing you conviction. And you know what? Side note, this morning, uh, this really encouraged me. Because if I were to preach this when I was you know, 20 years old, I probably wouldn't stress on these things so much. And I believe that if I were to preach it, if God keeps me alive for another 20 years and I preach this again, I think I will stress on this more. Because oftentimes as a young believer, you want to be made holy overnight and sin to fall off overnight and failure to be gone in the name of Jesus and no more sin and no more temptation and no more failures. And what happens is when you're a young believer, you begin to grow and then you fail and you wonder, why don't I feel my salvation? Why do I feel like such a failure? Am I talking to anyone this morning? Yes. Why is it? Maybe I'm not saved. And then you run out and you buy books and you want people to pray for you and you do this and you do that and you do and you forget that there's a process called sanctification. And you need to know that your problems and your sin do not predict your destiny. It's Jesus who does that. And beautiful work that he's bigger in you, he will sanctify you till the end. And then there's a third world called glorification, which is beautiful because from the time you live and give your life to Jesus and the time you die, you're being sanctified and then 
to be absent the body is to be present with the Lord and there's a beautiful day when you'll be glorified it means to be perfected in holiness forever removed from the power and the presence of sin what a beautiful day that's going to be when there will be no more temptation when there will be no more judgment thrown towards you when there will be no more slander against you standing in the presence of Jesus where there can be finally rest Romans chapter 8 verse 29 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son Paul's writings man gosh it tires me out it's like yeah bro it's like each each like three words is like give me a commentary please you know so maybe you feel that way it's like what's he saying now those whom he foreknew I want you to know that even before the foundation of the earth was laid Jesus knows you whom he foreknew oh he knew you he knew your failures those whom he foreknew he predestined he only has set you apart for glory man dear God thank God that I'm not defined by my failures thank God that my failures do not define my destiny but it's Jesus who does that and he knew me before the foundation of the earth man he knew that I was going to tank it on Monday he knew I was going to tank it on Tuesday he knew I was going to tank it on Thursday and he knows that when I stand before him he's going to present me blameless because of that one thing I'm going to close with that in the end because the one thing I put my faith in Jesus so those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that is to, to, to be conformed into Jesus Christ look at verse 30 real quick and those whom he predestined he also called oh my God who's he calling this morning because you see it's because he predestined you you're able to recognize his voice and when he calls you say wait a minute I need to answer that call my sheep hear my voice and maybe you're here this morning because it was his voice that called you because he has set you apart for glory oh listen to me God is not a bully who creates you to fool around with you and to set you up for failure this is not prosperity gospel God created you with a plan and a purpose you need to know this and you might have failed 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 and I will stand with you and I will say I failed too but my problems my predicament does not point me towards my destiny it's Jesus and he predestined me he has set me apart before the foundation of the earth and his blood is shed for me and no matter how much I fail his blood is more than enough to cover my sins join us this Sunday at the Living Church Boise service and address can be found on our website www.thelivingchurchboise.com visit our website for service time and address 